trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. Sometimes I wish I didn't put off lunch until like five minutes before I'm supposed to go on the air. In other words, uh, you know, lunch is great. It's something to be enjoyed, even if it's, oh, just say for the sake of argument, a bowl of ramen. But boy, did I have five minutes to enjoy that bowl of ramen, and I am so happy to share that information with you. Thanks again for, for being a part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. Our program is brought to you by the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, HSLAmmo.com, Pure-Light.com, LifesavingFood.com. You should really check them out if you're thinking about food storage or at least bolstering your supplies. And <clears throat> last but not least, MonticelloCollege.org. Now, if you are a uh, somewhat new listener, if you're checking this out for the first time, maybe somebody said, hey, give it a listen to see what he has to say. See if uh, see if it rings the right bells. I want you to understand that uh, my job here is not to advise you as to what you should believe or what you shouldn't believe. But what I am trying to do is persuade you that we all need to be learning and questioning as much as we can about everything we possibly can. And the reason for that is because... If there's one thing that's becoming clear, at least for the people who are paying attention, it's that a good portion of what most of us have been taught for most of our lives has been a lie. So I'm not saying, and I've got all the answers right here, but I'm definitely looking for those answers and encouraging you, take the time, put in the effort, search it out wherever you have to. This is not a time to be, uh, how do we put this, operating in the dark, this is a time to really know who you are, know what you stand for, and and as best as you can, understand the world around you. Now, I'm going to temper that with the understanding that that doesn't mean you have to know everything. You don't have to be tied to the media, you know, joined at the hip 24-7. Now, and I'm saying this is an information junkie. I'm a guy who really likes to know what's going on, so I spend a fair amount of time, you know, seeing what's happening around the world. But... If you find that your consumption of various types of media, be it social media, mass media, conservative media, liberal media, if it's causing you to feel noticeable increases in either fear or anger, I mean, just consider the possibility. Maybe it's not doing you any favors. Maybe it's time to unplug from it and find some things that actually do bring value to your life. Now, hopefully along the way, we can have a few laughs. I've got a few serious things to discuss as well as a few that are, are more or less humorous. I want to start, uh, I want to start with the idea that uh, there are people going door to door. This has already begun. The vaccine missionaries have been sent out two by two into the world. Actually, I don't know how they go out if they're two by two or if it's just, you know, one person. But it's a little bit, <clears throat> it's a little concerning to me that we have a door to door ministry concerning finding out who is vaccinated and who isn't and and in the words of uh, you know some of the the folks in government to bring us the information we need to understand about vaccines that's disturbing in and of itself but i'm also seeing more open calls for mandatory 
vaccines. Now, this is coming from a number of different directions. When I say, you know, when I see people talking about it, I'm talking about people openly. Uh, Public health officials, Geraldo Rivera, who apparently is a public health official. You know, others who who are, are public figures or talking heads saying, you know, it's time that we just go ahead and say this has to be mandatory. And this is something that a number of, of different uh, corporations, for instance, businesses have uh, found it in their interest to toe the line and say, OK, well, if you want to work here, you have to have the vaccination. Some are taking it so far as to say, if you want to be a vendor to our company, we need proof that you are actually vaccinated. So under what circumstances can we say, well, you know, it's it's time to make these things mandatory and you really shouldn't have a choice in the matter. I like the article I saw earlier today from Donald J. Boudreau. This was published on the American Institute for Economic Research website. Externality is no good excuse for mandatory vaccination. Now, don't let your mind slam shut and think, ah, Donald J. Boudreau. Well, this guy must be, you know, some kind of a rabid anti-vaxxer. In fact, he, he starts his article by saying, I am not and have never been. An anti-vaxxer. He says, when my one child, Thomas, was young, neither his mother nor I hesitated to have him receive the full range of childhood vaccines, just as my own parents didn't hesitate to have me in the 60s receive the full range of vaccines then available to children. And he says, when COVID-19 vaccines became available a few months ago, he says, I got the full dosage, Moderna, in case you're wondering. But he says, I am and have forever been anti-authoritarian. And he says, and being such, I oppose efforts by government to mandate vaccination or to punish persons who aren't vaccinated. He says, in this real world of ours, the state has no business imposing penalties on anyone who chooses not to inject or ingest certain medicines. Such an intrusion into individuals' private affairs is unethical and inconsistent with the principles of a free society. Every parent should have the right to refuse vaccination for his or her children. Every adult should have the right to refuse vaccination for himself or herself. No explanation for such refusal should be required beyond a simple no. But the most common retort to those of us who oppose state punishment of people who refuse vaccines is to allege that the anti-vaccinated persons jeopardize the health, even the lives of innocent third parties. Read, for example, Washington Post columnist Lena Wen whose strong obsession for mandatory vaccination is matched by her weak ability to put data into proper perspective. In econ speak, the charge is externality. Or as University of Michigan economist Justin Wolfers recently exclaimed in response to someone who objects to what smells like a move toward mandatory vaccination because externalities. An unvaccinated individual, it's alleged, unjustly, unjustly spreads to other people dangerous pathogens whenever that individual is in public. But Donald Boudreau says shouting externality is not the trump card that many economists and non-economists naively suppose it to be. In a world in which not every human being lives in an isolated, isolated existence, that is in our world, Each of us incessantly acts in ways that affect strangers without thereby justifying government-imposed restrictions on the great majority of those actions. 
Therefore, justification of government obstruction of ordinary affairs of life requires far more than an identification of the prospect of some interpersonal impact. He's got a nice link in here, by the way, David Henderson's brief response to Mr. Wolfers. Donald J. Boudreaux says, hey, justification for mandatory vaccination also requires more than a vivid imagination. Clever seventh graders can describe hypothetical situations in which every reasonable person might agree that forced vaccination is justified. Like, imagine a virus so super contagious and lethal that it will, with 100% certainty, literally kill every human being in the country if even a single person in the country remains unvaccinated. (sighs) But he says to be relevant, the case for mandatory vaccination must be made with respect to reality as we know it. Furthermore, in a free society, the burden of proof falls not on opponents of mandatory vaccination, but on those who assert that the externality is real and serious enough to justify making vaccination mandatory. Now that the choice to remain unvaccinated against COVID creates some risks for strangers is indisputable. Yet this fact about this choice does not distinguish it from many other choices with similar consequences nearly all of which choices, again, do not justify government intervention. A fact that holds true even if we confine our attention only to actions that put in greater jeopardy the physical health of others. So the choice to drive to the supermarket creates health risks for pedestrians and other drivers. The choice not to be tested for the flu and then go about life as normal creates health risks for others. The choice of diving into a community swimming pool creates health risks for others. The choice to use a public restroom creates health risks for others. See, in each of these situations, the benefits of allowing individuals to freely make such choices are believed to be greater than the benefits that would arise from imposing novel restrictions on such choices. So is there something special about COVID-19 that justifies the usual authoritarian step of making the vaccination necessary? To this, Donald J. Boudreau says, no. And when we come back on the other side of the break, we're going to talk a little bit about why externality is not the right excuse. It's not a good excuse for mandatory vaccination. And by the way, I'm not trying to persuade people, hey, you shouldn't be getting the vaccination. If it's something that you have looked into, if you have weighed the cost and the benefits and you feel like this is in my best interest to do so, by all means, do it with my blessing. Just don't force people to take it. And by the same token, don't force people not to. It's the force that's the issue. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Sharing an article here from the um, American Institute for Economic Research. That was that was the best brain fade I have had all day today. Wow. Anyway, this is by Donald J. Boudreaux, and it's titled, Externality is No Good Excuse for Mandatory Vaccination. And look, maybe, maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree. I, I could be totally wrong that uh, that seems to be the direction we're headed. But as I look at the the different uh, the ways that the media is covering it, the way that politicians are speaking, the rhetoric that is being used, it's pretty clear that some of the same folks who enthusiastically embraced the lockdowns and everything that came with them 
are also thinking, well, if that was a good exercise of government power, then mandatory vaccinations should be a good exercise of that power as well. But there are some reasons why the the unusual authoritarian step of mandatory vaccines can't be justified simply by invoking COVID-19. Here's what Donald Boudreau says. He says, look, first, there is this important and relevant reality that warrants repetition, given the bizarre yet widespread belief that this reality is neither important nor relevant. The reality is COVID reserves its dangers overwhelmingly for the old and the ill. That is for an easily self-identified group, the members of which can take measures to protect themselves from exposure to the virus without requiring the vast majority of humanity, very few of whom are at real risk from COVID, to suspend and upend their lives. Second, and even apart from the first point, the fact that vaccinations are quite effective at protecting vaccinated persons from contracting and suffering from COVID should be sufficient to drive the final stake through the heart of the case for mandatory vaccination. Yet mandatory vaxxers have a retort. They believe their case is made by establishing two facts. The first of these facts is that vaccination not only protects vaccinated individuals from COVID, it also reduces the prospect of vaccinated persons spreading COVID to others. The second fact is that not everyone is or can be vaccinated. These two facts are then cobbled into a springboard from which mandatory vaxxers leap to the conclusion that therefore the state should mandate vaccination of everyone who's medically able to be vaccinated. Donald Boudreau says, but this leap is illogical because it ignores several pertinent questions and the persons bearing the burden of proof are in no position to ignore pertinent questions. Among the pertinent questions ignored and hence not answered are these. By how much does being vaccinated reduce a person's chance of transmitting the coronavirus? And is this reduction worth all the costs of mandating vaccination? Next, he asks, how many people have medical conditions that prevent them from being vaccinated against COVID? And what portion of these people are in groups whose members are at especially high risks of suffering from COVID? Third, what does having a medical condition that prevents someone from being vaccinated against COVID even mean? Does it mean that such persons, were they vaccinated, would incur a 100% chance of dying from the vaccination? Surely not. But if not, to what specific risk levels would COVID vaccination subject such people? And are these risks high enough to be a part of a credible case for mandatory vaccination? He also asks, what is the cost to the unable to be vaccinated group of otherwise protecting themselves from COVID compared to the cost of mandating that everyone else be vaccinated? He also asks about the very existence of a group of people for whom the COVID vaccines are too risky implies that COVID vaccines are not risk-free for anyone, even apart from the inherent, if sufficiently small, natural, random risk posed by any medical treatment. Each of us has some positive chance of unknowingly being afflicted with one or more of the conditions that are recognized as rendering COVID vaccination as too risky. Why then should everyone save individuals in the formerly exempt group, be required to be vaccinated and thus be required to be subjected to some positive risk of being physically harmed by the vaccine. And finally, he asks if, as the mandatory vaxxers imply, any action that poses a a risk to the health of strangers is an action that government should treat as an externality and forcibly prevent. 
Why should not government treat all expressions of arguments in support of mandatory vaccination as externalities to be forcibly forbidden? Because vaccination itself is not risk-free, forcing some people to be, forcing people to be vaccinated is to forcibly subject some people to a risk that they'd rather avoid. Further, publicly advocating for mandatory vaccination increases the risk that a policy of mandatory vaccination will be implemented meaning that publicly advocating for mandatory vaccination, at least according to the logic of the mandatory vaxxers themselves, exposes innocent others to a risk that government is duty-bound to prevent. Now, his conclusion is this. He says, of course, I would oppose efforts to quiet the speech of mandatory vaxxers with the same energy and sincerity that fuel my opposition to efforts of mandatory vaxxers to impose on humanity their authoritarian measure. But he says the fact that the logic of the mandatory vaxxers can easily be used to make a case for forcibly stripping them of their freedom to peacefully advocate mandatory vaccination reveals just how flimsy is the case for mandatory vaccination. That case, to repeat, cannot be settled in the abstract with the mere intonation of the word externality. The above mentioned questions and perhaps some others about facts must be answered. And the burden in a liberal, open society for answering those questions in ways that make the case for any government mandate rests on the proponents of the mandate, not on the defenders of freedom. Boom. (laughs) Hey, remember, he's not anti-vax either. This is a guy who's just, I think he's, he's laying it out as clearly and concisely as a person can. There's consistently, consistency rather, in his principles. So how do you handle it? How do you plan to handle it if the the vaccination police come to your door? By the way, I don't think it's going to be actual police, but, you know, the trusted messengers. Some people are calling them vatsies. I don't, I don't even want to go there, but official busybodies who come to the door. I saw some suggestions on LouRockwell.com. This was from Becky Akers. And Becky is, uh, she is a stubborn, dedicated freedom fighter. But she has advice from a number of different readers. One of them said, well, first thing we ought to do is uh, get their names and home addresses. Demand they show ID to prove they're who they say they are. Oh, and by the way, remember, you have the right to remain silent. Now, others are saying, well, I think in in my case, if, you know, these people show up on my doorstep, the first thing I'm going to do is tell them they're trespassing and get them to leave. Remind them they're trespassing. And if we see that, uh, you know, the, the government starts to send in, you know, either police officers with them or marshals or other armed government functionaries to make sure that these visits are taking place. Well, maybe it's time to uh, bring an actual neighborhood militia that stands watch for approaching invaders, you know, to be considered. But he says, I don't really think that's going to come. Um, he says, actually, he says, I says, I think that's going to come sooner rather than later. Here's another reader who says, look, vaccine door-to-door salesmen and women should be handled as follows. Let them know that you are trans and you currently identify as a TSA agent. Then ask them to step in so you can pat them down for a liquid of any kind. There is, after all, a new war on extremism. By the way, if they're carrying anything, you know, pamphlets or a backpack or something, you probably need to go through that and take something of value if you find it. In other words, give them the complete TSA treatment. By the way, I don't don't recommend that. It's just fun to think about. Also, did you realize the Code of Federal Regulations prohibits the promotion of experimental drugs? 
I don't know, maybe you could uh, cite uh, 21 CFR 312.7A <laughs> and and maybe they'll they'll respond to it. Or you could give them the ever tried and true public servant questionnaire to be completed prior to answering questions. It's reverse intimidation, but it also will give you whatever information you're trying to gather for your lawsuit. Now, look, these are these are interesting and maybe funny ways that people, you know, I'll tell you how I'll handle it. I'll let my dogs out or whatever. I think the better idea is, look, speak through a closed door. Just simply tell them, not interested, and let them uh, figure it out from there. Seriously, what are they going to do? Are they going to kick your door down? We have to ask these questions. This is like the census. See, even the census takers wouldn't do that. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Hey, if you haven't visited my website yet, thebrianhydeshow.com, I just want to invite you to check out the show notes. It's where you'll find uh, links that will take you into greater depth on the different articles and issues discussed in the course of a day's show. You'll also get a chance to uh, get to better know my sponsors, and there are some wonderful sponsors out there. Among them, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Look, I don't have to tell you, this is the hottest real estate market most of us have seen in our lifetime. And the number of people moving to the Intermountain West, it's uh, nothing short of astonishing. If your journey is bringing you to a landing spot in Utah, Heather Turner's team at Patriot Home Mortgage is the one that you want to talk to. Because right now, if you find the home of your dreams, you got to have your you got to have your finances in order. You got to have your financing there and ready to go. You don't have time to to dilly dally, or that home is going to be snapped up before you know it. So, from VA loans to traditional loans to reverse mortgages. Heather has decades of experience in the lending industry. She knows what you need. She knows what the lenders need. She can make it happen. And of course, Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. You can call her at 435-703-4522 or visit Patriot Home Mortgage. Ask for the Heather Turner team. They're located in St. George, Utah, 619 South Bluff Street, Tower 1 and 2. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about the lockdowns. Now, look, I I vigorously opposed much of what was happening during the lockdowns. In fact, most of it. I don't think it was a proper exercise of government power. I think that uh, there were plenty of people, especially governors, who claimed authority that was not theirs and used it to destroy inadvertently or on purpose. I don't know. Depends on the governor. Um, they used it to destroy people's livelihoods, their mental health. And in a lot of their lives. I saw an article here from James Bovard. I won't share the whole thing with you, but I will give a couple of excerpts and encourage you. Go to the show notes at the com. James Bovard always has a very solid, very well-researched take on what's happening. And this one's titled, No Victory Lap for Governors Who Locked it Down America. He says, there are no fact checkers for victory laps. Last week, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo summarized his experience with the COVID-19 crisis. Speaking for myself, it was a tremendous personal benefit. Now, Cuomo made that declaration in a speech, concluding his one-year chairmanship of the National Governors Association. 
because Cuomo's spiel sought to rewrite history to exonerate politicians who ravaged Americans' rights and liberties, James Bovard says it requires a rebuttal. Cuomo declared that we maximize the moment as governors. Governors have a new credibility. Governors have a new status. In fact, Cuomo epitomized the rush to absolute power that occurred in governor's mansions across the nation. After he fueled pandemic fears, the New York Times proclaimed, Andrew Cuomo is the control freak we need right now. A New Yorker profile titled Andrew Cuomo, King of New York, explained that Cuomo and his aides saw the battle over COVID policy as between people who think government can be a force for good and those who think otherwise. Cuomo denounced anyone who disobeyed his edicts, including condemning sheriffs as dictators for refusing to enforce his mask mandates inside people's homes. Cuomo justified placing almost 20 million people under house arrest. If everything we do saves just one life, I'll be happy. Though his repressive policies failed to prevent New York from having among the nation's highest COVID death rates, he became a superhero thanks largely to media scoring that ignored almost all of the harms he inflicted. Cuomo won an Emmy Award for his masterful use of television during the pandemic. Media valorization helped to make his self-tribute book, American Crisis, Leadership Lessons from the COVID-19 Pandemic, a bestseller. Now, of course, Cuomo had plenty of power-mad accomplices in the Governor's Association. Oregon Governor Kate Brown banned residents from leaving their homes except for essential work, buying food, and other narrow exemptions, and also banned all recreational travel. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer imposed some of the most severe restrictions, prohibiting anybody from leaving their home to visit family or friends. Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti even banned people from walking or bicycling outside. The CDC eventually admitted there was almost no risk of COVID contagion from outdoors activity, not amidst a throng of people. But that didn't stop politicians from claiming that science and data justified locking people in their homes. Some governors have acted as if, acted as if their shutdown orders gave them unlimited sway to decree when normal life could resume. California Governor Gavin Newsom decreed that COVID restrictions would be perpetuated in California counties based on voter turnout, alcohol availability, and other non-health factors. California Assemblyman Kevin Kiley groused, an entire county can be kept shut down because certain areas areas, are judged to be, quote, lacking in equity, even if the whole county has relatively few cases of COVID. The end of COVID restrictions turned into hostage release negotiations with domineering rulers clinging to all their new prerogatives. So Cuomo was proud that when he visits a school, he's no longer asked, what does a governor do? Because people know what governors do and how important governors are. I'm sorry, I really should have taken some gag suppressant before reading too many of these quotes from Cuomo. Governors can wreck kids' futures by shutting down schools and placing children under indefinite home detention, costing millions of children almost entire, an entire year of learning. In some areas, private schools remained open and took precautions that kept children safe in the classroom. As Washington Examiner editor Tim Carney notes, students in Catholic schools in Montgomery County, Maryland, continued attending school and were kept safer than public school students. Kids learning remotely got COVID at three times the rate as kids learning in person. Unreliable distance learning produced a more than 500% increase in the number of black and Hispanic students failing classes in Montgomery County government schools. Now, a journal of the American Medical Association analysis 
concluded that shutting down the schools would reduce the current crop of students' collective years of life by more than 5 million, based on lower income, reduced educational attainment, and worse health outcomes. School shutdowns blighted the lives of millions of children, in part because the Centers for Disease Control proclaimed that six feet of social distancing was necessary to avoid contagion. An arbitrary standard pulled out of thin air that was denounced by former Food and Drug Administration Commissioner Scott Gottlieb. Now, the lockdowns the governors imposed also pointlessly ravaged many Americans' mental health. The Centers for Disease Control last month reported a 51% increase in emergency room visits for suspected suicide attempts by teenage girls in early 2021. A Kaiser Family Foundation survey found a 300% increase in the percentage of adults reporting symptoms of anxiety disorder and or depressive disorder, 41% of adults in January 2021. The CDC also reported a record number of drug overdose deaths last year due in part to the lockdowns and other government-imposed disruptions. So Governor Cuomo boasted that the COVID-19 responses were probably the most consequential decisions that governors had made in generations. They were literally about life and death. You make the wrong decision, people could die. Well, he would know, wouldn't he? Thousands of New Yorkers died because of Cuomo's mistakes and cover-ups. New York State initially reported barely half the total of more than 12,000 New York nursing home patients who died of COVID. One out of eight nursing home residents in that state that occurred after Cuomo ordered nursing homes to admit COVID patients. Early in the pandemic, Cuomo pushed to include a legislative provision written by the Greater New York Hospital Association to give a waiver of liability to nursing homes and hospitals whose patients died of COVID. A report earlier this year by the New York Attorney General warned the immunity laws could be wrongly used to protect any individual or entity from liability, even if those decisions were not made in good faith or motivated by financial incentives. Now, as The Guardian noted, Cuomo's political machine received more than $2 million from the Greater New York Hospital Association, its executives, and lobbying firms. Any politician who recited the magic words, science and data, became entitled to outlaw any activity he chose. Cuomo and other governors acted as if they discovered a good intentions exemption to all limits on their power. Now, federal judge William Stickman IV condemned Pennsylvania's COVID restrictions. Quote, broad population-wide lockdowns are such a dramatic inversion of the concept of liberty in a free society as to be nearly presumptively unconstitutional. But Cuomo and other governors presumed that proclaiming emergencies nullified the constitutional rights of any citizen under their sway. The U.S. Supreme Court struck down Cuomo's restrictions on limited religious gatherings because they were far more restrictive than any COVID-related regulation that have previously come before the court, and far more severe than has been shown to be required to prevent the spread of the virus. Okay, you get the picture. You get the picture. James Bovard says, look, in reality, Cuomo's speech relied on what Hegel called the truth which lies in power. Meaning, as long as politicians are exalted, the actual details of their decrees are irrelevant. They have been coronated as saviors. Cuomo assured his fellow COVID profiteering governors, this will happen again. That's why Americans must recognize the catastrophic failure of political iron fists during the COVID-19 pandemic. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I hope you'll go to my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Check out that amazing article by James Bovard about no victory laps for governors. You know, I, I, I get it. I probably sound like Chicken Little, but I'm very, very concerned that governors think, well, we got away with it once. All we have to do is just make sure we scare people enough and we can do it again. I don't know about you, but I cannot abide another lockdown like what we saw before. Now, if that makes me a bad person, well, you just don't care about people. I'm, you know, all I know is I saw government act well beyond its legitimate role. I saw a lot of people suffer as a result. And even if I wasn't the one who was suffering, it's unacceptable. I was very resistant to the wearing of the mask, especially when it became mandatory. I remain so today. So I guess, you know, if I'm a bad person, I'm a bad person. But I'm a bad person because I don't want to see your liberty or my liberty taken any further from us. And it's pretty clear to me that the people who are sitting in power right now still think, oh, yeah, we got it. We can do this. We can find a way to make it happen. And sadly, uh, many of their enforcers will still find a way to make it happen just because they're used to doing what they're told. I'm just doing my job. Don't look, don't look at me like that. I'm just doing my job. They need to Google a little thing called the Nuremberg Tribunals and see what happened to other people who were just doing their jobs. And even when their jobs got really twisted and grotesque, they continued to do their jobs. And then they swung from the end of ropes when justice was finally measured out. I don't want to see that happen. And I certainly don't want to see the kind of, you know, official misconduct that we saw during the lockdowns. Scary stuff. Speaking of scary stuff, and I guess this is this is as good a transition as any. Let me get away from COVID here for a minute. Let's talk about how governments that operate in secret typically aren't real concerned about getting the consent of the governed. Now, if that sounds like a totalitarian dictatorship, you know, North Korea, Venezuela, Cuba, right? No, this is this is actually the way that our own government is is operating. And and one of the places where I have seen this is no fly lists. And it's crazy. Some of the people who have, have suffered from this. Okay, I'm going to make some people mad, but I'm going to bring up the name Ammon Bundy. A couple of years ago, I was attending an event where Ammon Bundy was a featured speaker. And yeah, there were protesters who showed up and stood outside with bullhorns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was the really rabid environmentalists who came to make their displeasure heard. But the federal government was way ahead of them because when Ammon went to book his flight, it went to board his flight to fly out to that meeting. He was told that he could not fly. He'd been placed on a no-fly list. When he was asked, well, who put me on the list? We can't answer that. We don't know. Why am I on the list? Again, we don't know. Now, again, at the risk of angering people, particularly those who kind of have that knee-jerk reaction whenever they hear the name Bundy. I just want to remind you, and I'm not trying to rub it in, but Ammon was never convicted of wrongdoing. He was 100% acquitted by the jury in Oregon over occupying the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge. The case against him and the other defendants was dismissed in federal court in Las Vegas for what happened in Bunkerville in 2014. 
Yeah, the guy sat in prison for the better part of two years. He was treated as if he was a convicted felon. But in the end, the government never convicted him of anything. And yet somehow, huh, what a strange coincidence, he wound up on a no-fly list. Now, he's not the only one. Other members of his family had either were on the no-fly list or, in the case of his mother, uh, Carol Bundy, uh, Carol was talking about how, for a long time, they would let her fly, but under special circumstances. They needed to have an air marshal on the flight, and TSA had to walk her, escort her, like six agents strong, through the airport. I mean, you want to talk about just a petty flex for everybody to see. See how serious we are. See how important we are. See how dangerous this person is. Of course, anybody who personally knows the Bundys knows that's, that is little more than melodrama on the part of those government officials. But the idea that government is keeping lists and a particularly keeping secret lists like the no-fly list... That should bug you on a couple of levels. I'm looking at an article here from Michelle Malkin. This was published on intellectualtakeout.org. Back in April, she sent a request to the U.S. government for public data that taxpayers have a right to see. And through the Federal Information Freedom of Information Act, the FOIA request, she asked the Transportation Security Administration, as well as the FBI, for the following information. Number one. She wanted to know the policy statement outlining the processes and criteria according to which officials nominate, consider, and approve names for the no-fly list, selectee list, and extended selectee list. Secondly, she wanted all information, documents, records, and communications within the TSA and or between the TSA and FBI regarding attendees of the January 6, 2021 Capitol Rally and their inclusion on the no-fly list, the selectee list, or extended selectee list from January 6th, 2021. And by the way, she says, I requested copies of all information, records, emails, phone logs, transcripts, letters, notes, memoranda, and all electronic or non-electronic communications, records, information related to aforementioned events and aforementioned parties. She also requested documents, information, records, and communications within the TSA and or between the TSA and FBI using the search terms Nick Fuentes, Nicholas Fuentes, Nicholas J. Fuentes, America First, Lauren Witzke, AFPAC, or Groypers. Now, I'm sorry to confess, I don't, I don't know anything really about any of them. I think uh, Nick Fuentes maybe made a little bit of a stir at CPAC this last week, but um, th- this is the point. Michelle Malkin says, You will be interested to know, my fellow American citizens and taxpayers, that the price of unlocking the TSA FBI's no fly secrets is precisely $4,500 or $4,536. That's 28 bucks an hour. Michael Tobias, Government Information Specialist at the Department of Homeland Security or Transportation Security Administration, Freedom of, Freedom of Information Act branch, told her it would take a combined search time of 162 hours to fulfill her request and that half the estimated cost, $2,268, would be due upfront as an advance payment. Thank you. Have a great day, is how he ended his letter. So much for freedom of information. 
Now, of course, Michelle Malkin has appealed this onerous tax on investigative journalism. She refiled her Freedom of Information Act request this week, noting that she is a member of the media and reiterating that any information she receives will be shared with the public. So she says, stay tuned for updates. But in the meantime, ask yourself and your elected representatives while you're at it this question. What is our government trying to hide at such a high cost to ordinary Americans? Now, apparently, uh, Nick Fuentes and Lauren Witzke uh, apparently have faced obstacles to traveling by air since the beginning of the year. If I understand, both attended the January 6th U.S. Capitol rally for Donald Trump. Neither entered the Capitol building, though. Neither has been charged for any crimes. But they're on a list, man. Therefore, they cannot fly. President Joe Biden's TSA and multiple airlines have told Nick Fuentes he no longer has clearance to fly. Witzke cannot check into flights online, is swabbed for explosives, and has secondary security screening selection marked on her tickets. Now, look, you may not know either of these two individuals. You may not even like them. But the fact that it can be done to them for reasons which are kept in the dark, that should sound some alarm bells loud and clear. Laura Loomer, by the way, another early repeated victim of big government, big tech abuse, weighed in saying not only are they trying to extort people for wanting to know the truth, but she says they won't even reply to my lawyer request to find out why the FBI has illegally red flagged me and prevented her from unilaterally owning firearms, something Ammon Bundy ran into a couple of years ago. He went to purchase a firearm and was told, yeah, you're uh, you're apparently a prohibited person despite the fact that he has never been convicted of any wrongdoing whatsoever. By the way, Ammon was able to get his gun eventually. But something hinky is going on. And if we allow it to take place, uh, we allow it to go on unchallenged, it's only going to get worse. Like uh, Michelle Malkin points out, She says the rest of the deep-pocketed corporate media remains stubbornly uninterested in freeing the truth on behalf of persecuted dissidents. Now, it's not a newsflash, she says, but it bears repeating. The fourth estate is not a neutral actor, but an active collaborator with the swamp and Silicon Valley in stifling America first. This is why it's so important to get that information from sources other than establishment mouthpieces. This is The Brian Hyde Show.